Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by West Elm and their Design to Impact initiative. This basically means that West Elm is increasing their commitment to products that are handmade, fair trade, sustainably sourced, and organic. You can check out westelm.com YHL to learn more and stay tuned for a 15% off discount code for your next purchase. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're sharing why John's going to be tearing up our yard, and we're diving deep into the white wall trend. Is it nice in photos, but stark and bare in person? We're weighing in and we're calling two other bloggers to get their take. Hey, Sherry. Hello. So uh, I'm a little bit anxious about my what's new this week. Let me guess, does it involve a lot of digging that will take place this weekend? It will, and that's part of what's making me nervous. My what's new is that my neighbor and I are installing irrigation in our yard this weekend. Our yard, like me and my neighbor have a yard. Yeah, no, no. The yard I have with Sherry, Right. my neighbor and I are putting an irrigation system into. Because he's the best. Me? Our neighbor oh. <laughs> and you. <laughs> Thank you. But it's especially nice of our neighbor to dig up our yard with you to install irrigation. Yeah, so I'm nervous because I've never done anything like this before. And plumbing type things always make me anxious because it's not a skill set I practice a lot. Um, but way back in the spring, I think you guys may have even heard on episode five, we talked a lot about our landscaping and how we got a landscaping plan. And sort of the first thing we learned from the person who put the plan together for us was that we have a water issue. Like we're not getting enough water on our yard and on our plants. And so before we spend any more money on plants or grass seed or grass seed, that we should get an irrigation system in. Like the responsible people we are, we immediately like went out and got a couple quotes from uh, local irrigation companies that were recommended to us. And then my neighbor overheard we were doing it. And he was like, oh, don't hire that out. I'll do it with you. Yeah, he was like, I've done it for like three houses. I know how to do it. Anyone can do this. If you can like attach straws together, you can do this. It's just tubes. You're connecting tubes and it's very easy. And so he convinced us. He convinced us, but then summer happened and we right. like all got distracted and it sort of fell off all of our radar. Then our other neighbor got a pool and we were all in our neighbor's pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it wasn't till like September rolled around that I was like, oh crap, this is the fall where we're supposed to be planting things and we don't have any water yet. So I like called him up. I was like, hey, remember when we talked several months ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still interested in doing that? And he was totally gracious about it. And he came over and like walked the property and we planned it out together. He like told me all the supplies I needed because honestly, I had no clue how these things were set up at all. Right. I'm inside with the kids, like just watching them out the window. And there's like a lot of hand motions. They're holding flags. It looked like they were directing a plane where to land because there were flags and arms flapping around. We're taking like big wide steps to measure things with our feet. Oh, is that why you were marching like that? Yeah, yeah. Because we we were pacing out how far apart they needed to be. They were both like striding long-leggedly around the yard. (laughs) Like gazelles. Totally. All of the material is ordered. It's supposed to arrive here the end of this week so that he and I can tackle this week and I've got to go like rent a trencher from Home Depot so that we can dig the trenches. It seems very straightforward, but at the same time, I'm still very nervous. I think it's going to feel like you're assembling one of those marble runs. You know how you put like all the pieces together? I hope so. I'm good at those. And then just like the marble goes through it, the water will go through it and you will like dance for joy when it comes out the sprinklers. I hope so. Um, Assuming I live to tell the tale and it turns out we actually get water I will happily blog about the whole thing so you guys um, know how we did it. And it's going to save us around, what do you think? 
I think it's going to save us about $2,000. That's what I, was I haven't thinking. done all the math yet, but we did actually get the quotes from the irrigation companies. I think the quotes were what, between like $3,000 and $3,500? I'm thinking this might come in around like $1,500. Yeah, that's definitely worth it. Well, already our kids are like, yay, we can play the sprinklers. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like I'm not those kind of sprinklers. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be fun to do that once in a while. but I think the pressure might be a little bit hard yeah. to actually like enjoy. Yeah, that's probably true. Slip and slide? No. That will kill all the grass that we're going to plant. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so once this is done, again, assuming all goes well, we will no longer have an excuse not to plant anything because fall is upon us like hardcore. Yep, break out the pumpkins. It's time. So is your what's new a little less nerve-wracking? No? Say, it, I didn't expect it to be nerve-wracking, but it is nerve-wracking. So my what's new is after having braces for four years as a child and wearing my retainers for basically a decade until they both broke and I was like well into adulthood, somehow a lot of my teeth have moved back and I need braces again. But I'm too vain. <laughs> well, first of all, I thought I only needed a retainer. So I went to the doctor, the orthodontist, and I said, hey, can I just get a retainer to kind of fix? There's like some rotating in the top, and the worst part is on the bottom. You can't really see it until I open my mouth, but there's a whole side that's sort of concave, and my bite's all weird, and it go- It looks like someone just pushed my We'll tooth. put all the molds up on the podcast show notes. How about that? <laughs> no, you will not see them, but it, just trust me. I know everyone sees my smile and thinks it's fine, but then when I open my mouth and show people, they're like, what? Apparently certain angles and smiles hide it, but when I'm speaking to someone face-to-face or opening my mouth, they see it. That's not totally true. I don't know. I'm I'm self-conscious enough about it to want a someone, retainer. Someone pointed it out to you. My best friend who sees me every day. Yeah. And then now out. you and then you were like, oh, she's right. Well, I'm like, if someone who sees me every day noticed it, it's probably getting really bad. And she was just saying, before it gets worse, go get a retainer. So long story long, I went to the orthodontist and said, hey, can I get a retainer to fix this? And he was like, you're joking. You can't fix that with a retainer. You need braces. And I was like, I can't even get into the headspace where I get braces. I will rather leave it like this than get braces. And he said, well, have you thought about Invisalign? And I said, yeah, but that's too major. It's more expensive. I'm not interested, blah, blah, blah. And then he basically said, okay, well, a retainer won't fix it. I could freeze them where they are now. But if you want any improvement, it's braces or Invisalign. So I molded over. I actually got two quotes because I'm cheap. And I wanted to make sure I was getting the best deal. And I am going to do Invisalign. It's not inexpensive. And I hear it's a little bit painful. But I didn't expect it to be anxiety riddled. But when I was in the room getting, they make the mold of your teeth. Right, right. And you know, like as a kid, when you get a retainer or a braces. Don't they, they put like, like something like a tray and you kind of like bite down? Right. It's like silly putty, right? In like I'm a, sure it is silly putty. <laughs> and you put it in your mouth. <laughs> or the Donic grade silly putty. Exactly. It also bounces. It is flavored like raspberry. Comes in an egg. Exactly. I was getting ready for that. And instead, she whips out this wand that the best way I can describe it is it looks like an ultrasound wand. If you guys, anyone's ever had a baby. It's like picture someone holding a remote and then saying, I'm going to put it in your mouth. What it is, instead of putting silly putty on your teeth, the way this orthodontist does it is he scans them it's sci-fi john he scans them and and on the screen almost like the ultrasound screen where you look to see the baby instead you see it generating your teeth in a 3d dimension it's like google sketchup kind of they can spin it and look at it from above and and rotate the whole thing but the thing that everyone always comments on when i open my mouth in any sort of dentist cleaning or orthodontic procedure is oh you have all your teeth Apparently, that's rare. I have all my wisdom wisdom teeth. teeth. Yep. And they grew in fine. I had room in my giant mouth for them. Like, literally, the woman doing the scan was like, 
I don't even know how I'm gonna get this remote behind your wisdom teeth because it needs to get a 360 view. Essentially, my job became unhinged. Like we both were like, oh yeah, it was very, it was much more painful than I expected. And the whole time I was like, wouldn't the molds be more helpful in this moment? <laughs> you know what? I brought some silly putty. Right. I was like thinking the molds were gonna be annoying, but it was a challenge. She had to call for reinforcements. There were moments where she was like bracing her knee against my chest. Like we were in all sorts of contorted. <laughs> foot up on your forehead. Really? We were like contorted. Both of us to try and get this remote control behind my back wisdom teeth. But eventually she got enough and my trays come in next week. So I'm mostly excited about it. A little bit sad that I'm probably going to talk with like a little bit of a lisp, <laughs> but I'll get used to them. It's not Everyone, that bad, is it? I don't know. Everyone says you get used to them. My neighbor who has them said the most annoying part about it is you have to brush your teeth all the time. Like anytime you snack, you have to brush your teeth because otherwise you get food in your trays and then it's like you're smiling at someone and there's like a piece of spinach in your tray. So. <laughs> your teeth get molded around a chunk of muffin. Exactly. I feel like these were kind of like some downer what's news. <laughs> I'm really scared about my yard. Well, I'm really scared about my teeth you know i think would make us feel better i know what you're gonna say yeah it's what's not time so here's the part of the episode where i get to quiz sherry i'm gonna give her a category of things where most are real but some are fake and she has to tell me what's real and what's not are you ready for your category bring it on this comes from a list i saw on mentalfloss.com And the list is entitled 14 Facts About Home Improvement, not Home Improvement, the general concept. Oh, Home Improvement, the old TV show? Yes. The 1990 sitcom starring Tim Allen, Home Improvement. So these were just 14 fun facts about it. I've pulled out five, but one of them is fake. Are you ready? I am not familiar with the show very much at all, except for JTT. So there is a JTT question, a Jonathan Taylor Thomas question. Don't you worry. We'll see how it goes. Okay, so five little-known facts about Home Improvement. One of them is fake. Home Improvement was originally conceived as a spinoff of Roseanne. I would believe that. Pamela Anderson was the original Tool Time Girl. I think that's true. Randy, who is played by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, is actually older than his television big brother, Brad. Huh. I could believe that, too. These are very convincing. The popular neighbor, Wilson. His real full name was Wilson W. Wilson. (laughs) And last... The show had its own Super Nintendo game. Oh, these are hard. I don't believe Super Nintendo. Sorry, ma'am, you're wrong. Oh. Which I, one was it? The fake, Oh, the brothers. No, that's true as well. Oh. The fake fact is that Home Improvement was originally conceived as a Roseanne spinoff. Oh, it was like the same timeline, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually created by the same guy who did Roseanne. Oh, it just wasn't a spinoff. But yeah, Pamela Anderson was the original Tool Time Girl. Actually, first, Ashley Judd had auditioned for it, but she didn't get the part because she was considered to be too talented. They were like, you're overqualified for this position. So they actually tried to write a role for her as Tim's sister, but then she decided to go into other projects. (laughs) I do think we should dig up the old Super Nintendo game called Home Improvement because it sounds like a winning game. You have to fix something. It was called Home Improvement Power Tool Pursuit. Okay. It says, when a line of power tools at the Binford Tool Company, remember Binford, they were like, what? <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't know the show very well. They were like well. the craftsmen. Okay. So when a line of power tools went missing, Tim traveled from soundstage to soundstage, fighting actors dressed as dinosaurs and other creatures to get the tools back. <laughs> but he had to use the tools that he had collected. Apparently he had a grappling hook. Because, oh. <laughs> you know, that's a tool everyone has. Right. <laughs> so I'll put a link to this article on our podcast show notes page at younghouselove.com slash podcast. So you can check out Mental Floss's 14 sturdy facts about home improvement. 
Again, the show, not the concept. But I think now, Sherry, we are going to take a listener call, right? That's right. Hi, this is Marsha from South Carolina. I was just calling because I had read your blog post on choosing the beige color for your bedroom, and it touched on something that I had been wondering for a while. All these designers are really into the crisp white paint, but I've always been curious if it just looks better in photographs, or does it read cold and boring in person? I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Thanks. That's a really good question, Marsha. Yeah, I love this one. And we thought a fun way to answer this, in addition to giving our own thoughts on it, was to call two of our favorite bloggers who also have used white in their homes. Yeah, so we're going to call Elsie Larson of the blog A Beautiful Mess, and she uses white all the time and really loves it. But first, we're going to call Katie Bauer from Bauer Power Blog, who found white walls kind of challenging. Hey, Katie. So I know that you used white walls in an office in your house, and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about how that went for you. Yeah, so I saw this trend online that everybody was like painting everything white. And I thought that would be perfect for the office because I like a lot of color and I thought it would be a good neutral backdrop for art and pictures and a lot of clutter that I have going on in my office. It would kind of be like a breath of fresh air. But then I realized I'm like not really good at it. I'm not really good at white walls. Why do you say you're not good at white walls? Maybe it's because I, I'm not really a minimalist at heart. And I feel like minimalists do white really well. But I think I'm just, I like tchotchkes and I like a little bit of clutter. And when I put the white on the walls, even though it was a little bit of a warmer white, it just felt empty to me and undone. And it didn't feel like, oh, I'm setting off all these great art pieces or all this inspiring posters or whatever I have going on in my office. All your inspirational kitten posters? Yes. My kitten calendar, actually. (laughs) didn't work with my white walls. (laughs) And so are you keeping the white or what have you decided? Oh, yeah. So like I've lived with it. And yes, it looks awesome in photos. It looks great in videos. But I I, like I've just decided it's not for me. So I think I'm going to put wallpaper up. I wonder if you like the contrast of the molding and what you're missing is that the molding is white and the walls are white and that may be why you feel like it looks unfinished. I don't know. I don't know if it's the molding or if it's just my brain that doesn't like process the white. And also I think part of it is I'm a really big fan of white frames and, you know, frames kind of set off your art or your cat posters or whatever. And when I had those up on the wall, it didn't set them off anymore. It just sort of blended into the wall. So that just was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah, I think what you're saying to me sounds like you're tapping into probably a lot of hesitations that people have around white, because I think a lot of our brains kind of assume that like, until there is a paint color on the wall, even if it's a neutral color, like a a gray or a a tan or something, until there's something that's not white, the walls sometimes feel unfinished or like you haven't completed the thought in the room. Right, exactly. And like, you know, I'm a big fan of other things that are white. Like I love white dishes and I like white towels and I like white frames and I like white bedding. But like for whatever reason, I put it up on the wall and my brain was like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not done. Put something up here. Just go ahead and paint me. So you obviously understand, and I think you said a moment ago, that you see sort of the photography benefit of it? Absolutely, yeah. Do you think that's why a lot of 
bloggers and people in the design world are gravitating towards it? Do you think do you think a lot of bloggers out there ha- secretly having the same dilemma behind the scenes that you are where like in person, it's not feeling complete? Well, it's interesting. I did read an article on Design Sponge about white walls. And it was a really interesting way to approach the white walls was like this whole, you know, maybe it's part of our culture right now and how the white walls are probably putting a lot of focus more on like furnishings or, you know, this modern aesthetic with like the Killam rugs and like this minimalistic decorating style. And, you know, I just never had that. I've never been a minimalist. And it was very eye opening to me because I was like, maybe that's just not my style. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has their own styles. Right. And so when it came to like photos, absolutely. Those pictures of those style homes look amazing, like on Instagram. And it's almost like the white creates a resting place for your eye, which is really nice, especially in portrait work. So I totally understand why people want to paint their rooms white. But honestly, like as wonderful as photos are, I'd rather have a room that I feel comfortable when I walk into it in real life versus just a really pretty photo. Do you see a scenario in which you give white a try again? Um, Yeah, I do. I think white bathrooms are amazing. I would never put it in my children's bathroom. (laughs) I would definitely try it in maybe... Uh, a master bathroom, especially because there's just so much going on in bathrooms with tile and texture. And there's just so many surfaces that wall space is very minimal in a bathroom in my mind. And I would definitely try white in there. Well, thank you for talking to us, Katie. It's always fun to chat. And I'm sure I'm going to call you later about something else. (laughs) Yes. Call me later. (laughs) Okay. Bye, girl. Okay. Bye. So that was Katie Bauer's take. She's from the blog, bowerpowerblog.com. And now we're going to give Elsie Larson a ring from A Beautiful Mess. Elsie, why don't you start by telling us sort of where you like to use white on your walls and sort of why you've used that often? So my last two houses have been almost completely white. And I think every room except for two statement wallpaper rooms and one room that's a statement color for Jeremy's studio, every other room in our whole house is bright white. But I was kind of um, interested in that reader question. Like, that's so interesting that someone thinks that it looks good on camera, but not in person, because I think that it feels even better than it looks. Because I think that colorful rooms actually photograph more interesting, but white rooms, to me, feel fresh and happy and clean, and I like that for my everyday life. That's interesting, because that is a good point. We have a bedroom that we had painted sort of a deep denim navy color, and we repainted it knowing it photographed better, the denim navy color, but we were more like, no, but how it feels in real life. And we went light. We didn't go white-white. We went sort of like a light gray-tan neutral But you're right. It's sort of like a deep wall color does make a huge statement and it might photograph in a more interesting way than a white room. I think maybe the counterpoint to that is seeing so many rooms that are white. I mean, if you pick up a decorating magazine, there's so many white rooms. And if you go on Pinterest, I noticed right away that almost every kitchen I loved, I was pinning the walls were pure white. You know, they had white cabinets and white walls and white everything. And I was like, how is that working? But I was noticing I was pinning them. And I think in my head, I was thinking, well, maybe they photograph really well, but in person, it would look really unfinished or it would need a little bit of contrast. So what do you think? Because you have that white kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like contrast is a design trick that you can use, but I don't use it very much. And I don't think it takes away 
anything from my rooms. We have really low contrast color schemes. We have whitewash floors, almost always white walls, lots of like almost every pillow in the whole house is white. But it's still interesting to look at because we kind of gravitate more towards texture than towards the bold color. So maybe you're able to be more free with texture and pattern and like small pops of color because you don't feel like the wall is competing? Yeah, I feel like it's just a different way of looking at it. Like one of the other writers for ABM has the really dark floors and our houses, we have so many of the same things, lots of same tastes, but I feel like our rooms photograph really differently because she just has a higher contrast floor than I do. I think, you know, we've we've used white in some of our spaces and also largely through um, the design show house we did a couple years ago. It had mostly white walls in the main living areas. But I know, you know, we've heard the same sort of concern that like, does it look stark or unfinished or, um, you know, boring? I mean, what would you say to someone who, you know, has that concern? Every contractor I've ever worked with, they're always like, white again? No, try something else. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, this is what I really want to do. I think that the white on white thing, I think the good thing about it is if it does age out in trends, all you have to do is change one thing in the room and it could be high contrast. Do you think it's a trend that's going to age out? (sighs) I I think that's tough. Like I try to live by the Jonathan Adler advice that you should love what you love, whether, you know, it's the trendiest thing or, you know, played out. So I kind of don't care. Like I love it and it feels good to me. I think I'll stick with it for a long time. But um, I think, you know, everything, you know, comes and goes, right? I was wondering, since you are an expert in using white, you've used a lot of it, if you have any tips or tricks for someone who wants to give it a go. Um, Okay, so what I do whenever we start a new house is I go ahead and pick my white and I just pick it from the swatch. But then to test it, I just get one of those little quartz and then paint a big part of a wall in the brightest room of the house and then another one in the darkest room of the house and then just look at it in the daylight and the nightlight and make sure nothing looks really off. And what are you looking for if it looks too yellow or if it looks too blue? What's someone looking for to say like, yes, that's a good white or I don't think this is the right choice? For me, I want it to look super bright and clean in the day and then just not too yellow in, in the nighttime. But our writer, Laura, she swears by straight up untinted white paint and it really works for her because she has a preference more for the cool tones. Well, that's interesting. So she just like off the shelf buys the white base and doesn't have them add any tint at all. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how we did the trim in our first house, actually. We just walked into Home Depot, picked up the can, didn't even go to the mixing desk and walked out. Yeah, it feels wrong, but it looks really good, so. It certainly was easy. Yeah. (laughs) I like that part about it. Thanks, Elsie. It was so nice talking to you. Yeah, have an awesome day. You too. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Well, I think from talking to both Elsie and Katie, it's pretty clear. Obviously, there's not a right answer here. We're not like getting down to the bottom of which is the right way to do this. Yeah, I think it's really one of those things about styles and preferences. If you look at what you're drawn to or what you're pinning or what you're flagging in magazines, it might just solve for you whether you are going to be attracted to white walls or whether you think that's a little bit too minimalist or stark for your taste. Okay, well, how about we now talk about how we have used white and our take on it? The way that we seem to like to use white, I think, is when we want something else to be the star. 
right? So in the show house, one of our favorite rooms we did, we had a white office, but then we did a bright blue ceiling with a big chandelier hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, kind of like we did here in the living room. Exactly. And I think that was our inspiration. We liked it so much. We wanted something like that in our house. And not only does the room feel like the ceiling and other accents are the star and the walls sort of fall away, another great thing about the white is it can be very unifying. In our living room, we have paneling, brick, beams, drywall, and a accent fireplace. So there's lots of different textures and architectural features in the room. By painting everything white, certain things in the room stand out instead of everything competing. So Sherry, if you had to say the reasons why you like a white wall in a room, what would those be? I think it really can help unify things, as we said. It can emphasize things like interesting other objects or interesting textures or interesting prints and colors on other places. It sort of neutralizes itself in the background. I love how bright a room feels. I mean, there's nothing that feels lighter and brighter and sort of more crisp than a white room. So I think those would probably be the plus sides. And I would add to Marsha's point that I think white does help a room photograph nicely. I mean, even just in making some place feel bright or get more light into it, it's easier to photograph when you have more light. But I wouldn't say that was a driving factor in anything that we painted. We don't have enough white rooms to have done it for the looks. Yeah, I think we, we generally lean on a soft neutral. And I think the plus to that, so if we're talking about the negatives to white, one would be this. I think we really like when molding and other details like architectural features like a crown or a trim or a chair rail pop a little bit off of the wall color. They define it ever so slightly. So when we use a light gray or a light tan or a beige color, those do have that slight differentiation and it feels architectural and it feels less whitewash or all one tone than white on white on white. And another thing I would say is that the negative to white is that I think it can look stark. If you have a white room and there's not enough texture and there's not enough on the wall and there's not enough furniture, it can very quickly look like unfinished. Yeah, like you might walk in and say like, oh, did you just move in? (laughs) Right, right. You know, or like, oh, when are you going to hang some art? When are you going to make a decision about that wall? Right, right, exactly. And I don't, I think if you have a big painted wall, even if it's bare, the paint itself might sort of do some of the heavy lifting for you and offset the starkness, but a white wall might be a little bit more stark without a lot of stuff on it. I do think probably one of the reasons you and other people pin a lot of white rooms and the reason why they're so popular these days is because it does help you notice the other things. Because I think if you were going to Pinterest looking for interesting paint colors, obviously you would find colorful rooms. But if you're on Pinterest looking for interesting furniture or rugs or light fixtures, you're going to gravitate towards the photos where those things stand out. Totally. Like a lot of times I'm pinning because I like the hardware or I like the light fixture or I like the bedding. And only when I'm studying and saying like, oh, as an interesting sort of side note, what color are the walls? Do I notice how many are white? So thanks to Elsie and Katie for giving us their take on white in their houses. And Marsha for her question. If you guys have a question that you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, you can leave us a voicemail too. The phone number is 571 4 Y-H-L-H-A-P, as in Young House Love has a podcast. So before we get into We're Digging, we're going to take a quick break. So as you guys heard, this episode is brought to you by West Elm and their Design to Impact initiative. And if you're a West Elm junkie, you may have already noticed new icons next to some of their products. Yeah, like a little hand next to a pillow, and the hand means handcrafted, or a leaf next to some bedding, that means organic. And speaking of organic, when we were talking with Jennifer Gutman, who runs this program at West Elm, she pointed out that organic products, you know, whether it's the food you're eating or the sheets you're sleeping on, it's not just about limiting the chemicals that you come in contact with. 
Also, there's a huge environmental impact and more and more information is coming out about chemical effects that you see in groundwater in India and China. And really, how do we think of ourselves as connected to those communities? So helping support those farmer communities to have cleaner environment for themselves and their children. So it's not just better for you, the end consumer, but it's better for the people making the product, too. Absolutely. This might sound weird, but does organic cotton feel any different? You would not feel it different. So even though some people think organic is kind of crunchy granola, it's not going to feel crunchy granola. Exactly. More than 40% of West Elm's all-cotton bedding is already organic, and next year 100% of it's going to be. So if you want to learn more about all of their design-to-impact commitments, you can visit westelm.com YHL. And you can save 15% off any order at West Elm by using code YHL15 at checkout. That code again is YHL15. So let's get into where digging. You going to go first? Sure. I'm digging this a lot. (laughs) I I know. I've heard a lot about it. I know. I feel like every week I'm like, I really dig this, but this week, super dig. And this is a book. I got it from the library. It's called 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works. And it's by Dan Harris. He is a news anchor. And I, I went into it not knowing anything. You know when you go to the movies and you don't know what the movie's about at all and you're like, whoa, everything's a twist. So all I knew was he's a news anchor and it's called 10% Happier. So the thing I was not prepared for is how funny it is. So it turns out it's this sort of unassuming guy who doesn't believe in anything woo-woo, but it's his journey to chill himself out because he actually had an anxiety attack on the air. Yeah, like on Good Morning America. Yes. So like big major moment in his life and he was having a panic attack live in front of everyone. And so he needed to figure out how to get his anxiety in check. And so he's on this sort of spiritual hunt, but he's not very spiritual. Yeah, he's a skeptic, right? Right. Yeah, it's kind of the skeptic's take on trying things and whether they work for him or not. And there's all sorts of funny backstories like he'll mention meeting someone and you're like oh yeah because he's on Good Morning America like he knows these famous people yeah he's like so I set up an interview with Eckhart Tolle right and you're like oh he used to be on Oprah I remember him I am tempted to try meditation because without spoiling too much he does think that it really helps him I'm only halfway through the book and you just gave away the ending no that's not the ending at all there's there's nothing about that that gives it away what do you think do you love it as much as me well, it's kind of like when someone tells you the movie's the best movie ever. Oh, you're holding it to like such a high standard. Yeah. yeah, he's just so funny. It's one of those things where like if you're reading a book about like meditation and happiness, you expect it to be very like woo-woo, woo-woo like yeah. you said. And so the fact that he's like so sarcastic and straight shooting about it, it like kind of catches you off guard and actually makes you more interested in it. It's very funny. He's trying to meditate and he's telling you all the things he's thinking about and he's like, itch on my left leg. My nose itches. My leg hurts. My arm hurts. And it's like totally, if I tried to meditate, that would be what was going through my mind. So anyway, 10% Happier by Dan Harris. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you guys. He also has a podcast, which I haven't listened to yet, but I think I'll probably- listen to podcasts? What are podcasts Seriously. Waste of time. (laughs) So John Petersick, what are you digging, my husband? My we're digging is kind of a little bit of a follow-up to one from a couple weeks ago in episode 18, when I talked about Paper Karma, that app to try to, you know, cut down on our junk mail. Yes. Because the other thing about the mail that gives me agita sometimes- is all of our magazines. And I feel like I'm constantly getting magazine renewal envelopes. And you're like- Right, is every magazine running out every month? Constantly. And every time you open it and actually determine when it runs out, it's like six months from now or well, a year from now. Well, that's the thing. And I feel like they totally are trying to trick you. And they, when you get those renewal things, they don't actually tell you when it expires. So there's this like- implied urgency that it's about to expire. And so you like send back the renewal form. 
Right. So I've decided to put an end to that stress. <laughs> By being a big nerd. By being a big nerd. I started a list. It's a Word doc. It's a Word document that I have in my Google Doc so I can access it from my phone. It's very simple. I just, now when we get an actual magazine, because if you don't know this, when you look at the return address label on your magazine, usually like somewhere towards the upper right, it's printed the month and year that your magazine subscriptions end. So it'll say like August 16, if it was expiring in August of 2016. It's somewhat small, but it's there. So you can check anytime you get a magazine when it's expiring. But obviously they don't put that on the renewal notice. So then you have to like try to go hunt down a magazine. And if you haven't kept one, you don't know. And you're just guessing. So I decided to make a list somewhere of all of our expiration dates. So I'm not duped next time I get one of these things and end up renewing House Beautiful for two years. Because? (laughs) Because we're we're subscribed through the end of 2018. (laughs) (laughs) They duped us probably twice. So... I don't know exactly in this what I'm digging besides maybe a list of your Google magazines. Docs. <laughs> Google Docs. I don't know. I felt compelled to share it that whether it's a Google Doc or an email that you send yourself or an Evernote or even just like pen and paper somewhere, I've decided like when I get a magazine, I'm going to write down the expiration date. So next time I get one of those notices, I can cross reference and say, do I really need to renew this? Right. Or is this them just trying to fake me out and get me locked in for decades? Nine times out of 10, it's a fake out. Yep. It also makes me wish that I had subscribed to more magazines through Amazon because Amazon does this for you a little bit. Like I'm subscribed to Runner's World through Amazon and they will actually auto renew you as long as you've set it on auto renew when it's needed, not unnecessarily. Oh, that's nice. So you never get things from Runner's World asking you to renew or you still get them, but you can throw them away. I don't know if I do. That's a good question. But I don't have to worry about them because I know I can go into Amazon and check to see when I'm going to expire and if I need to pay to renew. So maybe we're digging... Amazon magazines? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're digging subscribing maybe, to everything Maybe I Amazon. should go subscribe to House Beautiful on Amazon and we can get it more. Right. Or double copies. Oh, yeah. Probably. His and hers. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. Can you believe we're 20 whole episodes into this thing? And I know every week we ask you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, but I realized I wasn't doing enough of that myself. So I went and left them for a few of my favorite podcasts. They really are a huge help to podcasters, so feel free to leave us one along with anyone else you listen to. And keep tagging us on social media to tell us what you're doing while you listen. Like Joanna Miller, who encountered a Hollywood film crew shooting a winter scene on her nightly walk, complete with fake snow and Christmas lights. And check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like a sneak peek of our irrigation project. And some pictures of our white rooms along with Katie and Elsie's. Later. Bye.